What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 84 of the Default Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Paolo, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman and Core. Super wild card weekend, as they are now calling it, since they expanded the playoffs. It's now in the books. Three really good days of football. For some people, you could say, if you were a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I would not say that Monday was a great day of football. But besides that, Core, for us general football fans and for teams who are advancing, awesome days, a couple of really good games, and yeah, I'm excited to finally recap it. I wish we could have gone it yesterday, but you know what? It's okay, better late than never. And then you guys get um a more a closer preview, you know what I mean? Because this episode is gonna be up on Thursday. And you already get to listen to this and you're like, wow, well, football's coming in two days because the games are on Saturday and Sunday this week. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to get into it and uh let's do it, Core. Yeah, I mean, you look at it two different ways. We record a day later, mean our listeners, they hear this, you know, it makes them want playoff football. So we we put it out a day later. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a solid wild card weekend. I mean, obviously for you and your Giants. I know we're, gonna, we're not going to start with that, but, you know, I trusted you on that one. Good win for them. And, yeah, I mean, playoff football, I think definitely going to have some better matchups this weekend overall, but definitely looking forward to recapping it. Yeah, I'll hold off on my victory lap. We will definitely talk about my New York football giants in a little bit. We will actually start with two other games in the NFC. We're gonna try we're gonna kind of go a little bit in order of the games that are chronologically played, but I'm trying to group them together. And I think I got a little better of a grouping than if we would have just went completely in order. So we're gonna start first with actually the first game of our slate, and it was the 430 game on Saturday, the San Francisco 49ers against the Seattle Seahawks. Let me tell you something, Corey. The Seahawks I felt battle a lot more than some people expected them to in the second half though it got kind of ugly I think the big turning point in this game for sure was the Nick Bosa strip sack I believe that was the Seahawks first drive in the second half that was after the 49ers had come out they scored a touchdown to take the lead because the 49ers went into this half down actually and I thought Brock Purdy definitely missed on a couple throws early in the first half I thought they definitely didn't play their best half of football but the second half got ugly. Debo Samuel had a long touchdown as well as Elijah Mitchell got a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey got in the end zone as well. Purdy is the big story. Finished with 332 yards in the air, three throwing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and his best play of the day was a drop by Brandon Ayuk actually late in it. The 49ers have now won 11 straight. Like I said, it was close in the beginning, but in the end, they asserted their dominance and just proved why they are one of the best teams in football. And for Brock Purdy, I mean, the Cinderella story continues. 6-0 as a starter, and yeah, I mean, he again, he, I thought he didn't play great in the first half, but the second half he played really well, and the final stat line speaks for itself. The 49ers, obviously, they're just a really good football team on both sides of the ball, and obviously their defense is tremendous. But, yeah, I think definitely to me the big turning point was when Gino got strip-sacked. I think the score was – it was 23-17 San Fran, and they were driving down – Seattle, they get a strip sack, and then they had a, Elijah Mitchell scored a touchdown. But you look at the Niners, just like on both sides of the ball, and you have a, like their defense is so good. Like their defense alone, I think, is going to make them Super Bowl contenders. But if, like, I texted you, I was like, I think if you put Nathan Peterman at quarterback for, for the 49ers, like they'll, they might have a winning record. And Brock Purdy's played really well, but just like, being in that offense, I'm not saying it's easy by like it's not easy, but his receivers are just always open. You got skill players like Debo Samuel, I mean McCaffrey out of the backfield, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, like you got some dogs there. So 
I mean, they have a lot of weapons on the outside and on defense. Like To me, the 49ers are going to look. I don't know. I think if Brock Purdy could keep playing how he is, what's the, I think they're the favorites to win the Super Bowl, honestly. I know if they, they might have to go, I don't want to say it, but like potentially go into Philly unless your Giants beat them. And that's like a tough environment to play in. But I think on paper, if Brock Purdy keeps playing, to me, they're the Super Bowl favorites. And I think they're just like – they're just like dominating teams and they do it on both sides of the ball. So I think the 49ers are just the best team right now in football, in my opinion. Yeah. At the stage of where we are in the NFL, I mean, year 2020, the 2022 season, year 2023, it being now, it just seems crazy to think that Brock Purdy, I mean, if you look at the eight, the seven other quarterbacks in the playoffs right now, Brock Purdy is the worst out of the eight, if you ask me. Like, I don't think it's really that much of a debate. I mean, there are some really good quarterbacks in the playoffs, too. So, it's not saying, like, I'm not trying to slander Brock Purdy here. But with that being said, I think you can make a fair case that the Niners, with the worst quarterback out of the other, out of the total eight teams, are the Super Bowl favorites because, I mean, they are so good everywhere else. And Purdy is not playing anywhere near the worst of anything. He's playing really good football. He's actually playing, if you ask me, better than, like, even Garoppolo could have played. Like, I remember Garoppolo started playing really good at some point this year. It was around that, like, Monday night football game with, the Cardinals. It was after they lost to the Chiefs where he kind of got on a roll. But like Purdy's able to extend plays more than Garoppolo. Obviously, again, I mentioned in that IU play again that how he's like like he Garoppolo doesn't evade pressure like Purdy does. Purdy's protecting the football even too more than Garoppolo te- normally does. So being that the 49ers are getting above average quarterback play out of that position, I think you could definitely say that right now they are deservingly to be the like a Super Bowl front runner for sure. I mean, their run game too is incredible. Christian McCaffrey had that long run early in the game. They have a plethora of weapons on offense. And again, Kyle Shanahan is just able to scheme it so well. And we haven't even talked about their defense that doesn't have a weak link at all. Nick Bosa and Fred Warner, two of the best defensive players in all of football. So, yeah, I mean, if Purdy could keep this up, I, I think the Niners definitely like, have a real good shot. The question still remains to me, aside from the Raiders game, Purdy hasn't really played from behind in the game, which definitely would scare me as an Iron fan. And maybe that's the only thing that, like, I'm a little hesitant on, that it's an awesome test this week against Dallas. We'll obviously get into that a little bit later. But if you're able to get pressure on Purdy, I mean, I don't want to, again, I don't want to, like, knock you something like that. But, I mean, there are how many talent evaluators do you think across the 32 front offices? Like, literally over a 1,000. Like, Brock Purdy went – the last pick of the draft this past year. Um, I know people miss on draft picks all the time and stuff like that, but I, I would just be a little nervous that, like, Brock, how perfect he's been, that maybe, like, when everything's not perfect around him, like, what's going to happen? You know what I mean? Like, is he going to fold when they're taxed with going on a huge a must-have drive or he's facing a ton of pressure in his face. So I'm curious to see, and I think we might actually get a chance of this week. But if you get this level of Purdy, like I said, if you get second half Purdy, the Niners are winning the Super Bowl. So we'll see what happens. And for Kyle Shanahan, keep scheming it up real good. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think Brock Purdy, yeah, like he hasn't played from behind, which kind of worries me. But, I mean, you're the 49ers. You keep playing how you play. I guess the mentality is just – Beat, beat teams up from the first kickoff t- to the last. And until I see it different-wise, I mean, I'm not going to, like, bet against the 49ers, honestly. But it's an interesting point you bring up, I think. It, it, I mean, you go – let's say they go de- – they play, like, you're in a hostile environment, like, against Philly. I mean, 
you go down 10 nothing in that in that stadium I, I don't know how Brock Purdy responds it's definitely gonna like a lot of sense of urgency is gonna have to be picking up and a lot more pressure is gonna be on him I mean I don't know it just yeah I mean this guy was the last pick in the draft I think I think obviously he, he has some talent but I saw like there are some plays in college he's made like he doesn't make the best decisions all the time and so far I mean he's been smart with with the Niners but it's just like easy like they've been up a lot and I don't know like in in a close crunch time type game when they're from behind in Philly if he could get it done but I'll still ride with the Niners until I see a team go up 10 nothing on them cuz like I just think they're too good they're, they're just such a good team I don't know if like they'll let that happen. I don't know. I I don't think it's really gonna happen. But it's definitely a big good point that you that you bring up. Yeah, I mean, again, even if it were to happen, he still has the best one of the best play callers in his corner. So for Purdy, and again, it's not really even a knock on Purdy as it is any rookie quarterback. Even if Purdy was the first overall pick of the draft, like I would still be a little nervous in that sense. No rookie quarterback has ever even led their team to the Super Bowl. So you're telling me for Mr. Irrelevant to be able to do it, like I think it's a testament to how good some of the surroundings are around Purdy. But with that being said, he still has two more games to get there. So we'll see if he can do that. Corey, we'll talk now about a little bit about the team who the 49ers will match up against. It will be the Dallas Cowboys, thanks to their Monday night victory in Tampa. I mean, what bothers me is that Middle of the season, I, I hate Dallas. And the fact that I was able to admit that, you know, what, Core, I think Dallas, like, this might be a year where they could go on a little bit of a run. They just seem like they have everything. And then I kind of – I saw the end of the season had that ugly finish, especially in Washington. And I was like, all right, like, maybe the ship has sailed. But then, like, Monday morning came, Core, and I was like, either the Bucks are going to win this game by three points or Dallas actually might blow the doors off them. Like, in, like they might actually remind people that, that, one, they're really good, and two, the Buccaneers are really bad. The latter did happen. 31-14 victory. It wasn't even that close. I mean, Dak Prescott plays the absolute best game of his life. They went three and out on the first two drives. They responded to that with four straight touchdown drives. Dak, 25-33, 304 yards, five total touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over. I mean, again, like I said, the best game of his career so far. And Tampa Bay was an 8-9 team that probably didn't deserve to get into the playoffs. They were not, if you ask me, one of the 14 best teams. And they proved it this past week at home. An ugly way for Brady's tenure potentially to end in Tampa Bay, but we'll talk about Brady in a second, but I will focus it to the Dallas Cowboys. Like I said, Dak was clicking. Tony Pollard looked good out of the backfield. Dalton Schultz had a big game, and their defense just got a whole lot of pressure and pinned their ears back on that Buccaneers offensive line and got after Brady. I mean, we talked last week. I was saying if Dallas did go to the Super Bowl, like I wouldn't be that surprised, but I thought it was just more likely of them losing this game than to – Go to the Super Bowl, and obviously they they proved me wrong in that in that sense. I mean, obviously talent wise, I'm, this team is good enough to get to the Super Bowl and potentially win it. My questions for them with were is Dak Prescott good enough? And obviously in this game, he goes for five total touchdowns, seems in complete control, showing a lot of passion, emotion, like leading the offense, playing with confidence. And this game to me, yeah, I mean this is this is a good this is like Dallas playing almost at their best. On offense, they they were playing really well. I mean, Dalton Schultz, two touchdowns. And on defense, yeah, they get to Tom Brady a few times. I think it's just like a combination of of both. I think it's Dallas being a good team, but the Buccaneers not really playoff-esque. 
I mean, Tom Brady obviously at 45 isn't the quarterback he once was. But let's just say this was like a decent quarterback whose name wasn't Tom Brady. I think the spread is over over three points. I think Vegas has to give Tom Brady their respect. And this game obviously could have went two ways. I think people I think people are just also scared to bet against Tom Brady. But obviously Dallas went into um a packed Tampa crowd and got it done pretty handedly. I think this game for the Bucs, I don't know where they go from here. I don't think Tom Brady is the quarterback for the Buccaneers. I don't expect him to retire, but it's just, I mean, like he obviously a competitor like Brady doesn't want to go out on a note like that. But it just seems, I don't know how much he really has left. Like I said, if he, if he proves me wrong next year, like I'll, I'll accept it, but I just don't know how much he has left. Whenever he's just pressured a little bit, it's either like a sack or he just throws it like into the ground. Almost. That's what I see. It's just like, he needs a clear pocket. And I mean, like he needs time to throw. And if he doesn't have like all day to throw right now, it's just not really getting the job done. And obviously it doesn't help that their run game really doesn't get anything going either. But I think from here, I think the Tom Brady era in Tampa is over. But for Dallas, I mean, yeah, it's a talented team. I don't think teams really want to face Dallas. But Tampa, I mean, 49ers versus Dallas should be, like, a really good game. A lot of stars on both sides of the ball. But, yeah, that's just my input on on this one. Yeah, I can't wait to definitely talk about that game. If you ask me, if I had to circle one of the four games, all four games if you ask me are very intriguing matchups. It's the last game on Sat on Sunday, and I think that is probably going to be the best game of the week. And then, like I said, with Bengals Bills on the slate, it says a lot about how good I expect that game to be. Especially if you get Purdy and Prescott repeating performances from this past week. Oh my goodness! I like I think that's like a fun hypothetical to play. Like, who do you think is better, Dak playing like the Cowboys with Dak playing that good or Purdy? Or the Niners with Purdy playing that good, but we'll have to wait and see this weekend. I'll kind of bring it back to Tom Brady and Tampa. I mean, yeah, they threw the ball like 66 times in this game. They could not run the ball all year, and it continued into the playoffs. They fired Byron Leftwich, their offensive coordinator, which is crazy to think that he was so close to getting that Jaguars job last year, and now he's left without an OC job. I think he will ultimately probably still get an OC job. I know there's a couple places like the Jets, Washington, even the Chargers, which we're talking about a little bit, that have openings. But yeah, Tom Brady in Tampa, Tom Tampa Bay as they've been calling it. I think like the time's kind of up. Their defense too was not good. Like was just not good at all. This was their calling card. Even when Brady was really good these past two years, like they still had a top 10 defense. And for some parts of the year, their defense looked elite and other parts, their defense looked not good and very vulnerable like they did this past Monday night. Their offensive line, a lot of changes all year and stuff. That didn't help. Shout out Ryan Jensen, though. I mean, they got towards ACL in training camp and made it back for this playoff team. So hats off to him. That is the one tough dude. But, core. with that being said, Tom Brady, if you had to pick right now, he's 45 years old, going to be 46 by week one in 2023. Do you think he, A, is in Tampa Bay, B, retired or C you got to give me the team that he ends up with. I I think he should retire, but I don't think he's going to retire. And I mean, I think he's going to end up in, in Vegas. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I just think, I mean, Vegas obviously seems like a team who one would just like, like the attraction of a guy like Tom Brady. Yeah. What does a ticket go for Tom Brady? Like, a home game like Tom Brady's your starting quarterback and you have a home game in Vegas like 
yeah. just from a business side of thing, right? Like, I know that's not the way you should think about building your team, but business side checks out a big time. I mean, yeah, I think that's how it, it kind of, like, looks. I think the Raiders are a team who would like that publicity. But also, I mean, Tom Brady, does he I, – I think at this point, like, he's he's old, but I still think he's – like I don't know where Tom Brady even like stands. Like I think obviously this year's Derek Carr, he's an upgrade over, but I think Derek Carr could play a lot better football. To be honest, I just like it. It's it hurts me to say like I just don't think Tom Brady is is like a good starting quarterback anymore. Really, like, I know I'm putting a lot on the Bucks, but I just feel if you put him on most teams, they're not winning. Like they're not. He's not winning. I don't think he's not, he's not, definitely not going to win another Super Bowl. And I don't even know if they're a playoff team, but I think with publicity and a need for a quarterback, I think he'll uh, he'll end up on the Raiders. Yeah, there's not a lot of places that, if you ask me, him personally would even go. Like I know Miami's also been talked about, but they've they said they committed to Tua. San Francisco's obviously been a popular one because that's like his hometown team. But San Francisco has enough of a mess on what they're going to do at quarterbacks, and bringing in Brady like isn't going to help that. So. I think Vegas also makes too much sense, especially with the Josh McDaniels connection. He would gain Devontae Adams and Dan Waller too. Josh Jacobs, I'm assuming, if they brought in Brady, they would definitely franchise tag Josh Jacobs and bring him back. So that could potentially be an upgrade at the running game. Is their defense good enough for a team like to make a Super Bowl run with Brady at quarterback? Probably not. Do I think that they're a playoff team with Brady? Probably, especially because that uh, the amount of one-score games they lost this year, that's just like a positive regression thing that they're going to just happen naturally. Like, I forgot what their exact record was in that, but I know they started off like 0-6 in those one-score games, which, again, that's just something that's not going to keep up. So I do think that this could be a playoff team with Brady. I think Vegas makes the most sense, but I do think they would need major changes to be considered a Super Bowl contender. And I don't think Tom Brady is necessarily, like, done, but I also don't think Tom Brady is this – like, if you're choosing 10 quarterbacks that you want for 2023, Tom Brady's not on that list. But honestly, you could probably say going into this year that, like, yeah, maybe you'd slot him down there, especially, like, with some of his intangibles and stuff. Maybe the play wasn't there. But, I mean, the guy, what, he led the league in passing last year. So, yeah, dude. still. Like, are you good? He's, he's, like, oh, my fault. Wait. Yeah, like, who are you taking? I, I know who I'm taking. I mean. I think he's an upgrade over card before you go. Like, I think the Raiders oh, no, are that. better this So. I will give you. I that. think is. I was just gonna say like a random name, like it's disrespectful. It like I still go Tom, but like you're obviously going like Brady over like. All right, it's disrespectful. Like Kirk Cousins, right? I mean, I don't think it's that crazy. I think I think Brady could give, like the Raiders, what Kirk Cousins gave the Vikings this year. Mm-hmm. But again, Kirk Cousins just led a team to thirteen and four. So if I'm thinking that Brady could get that production out of a Raiders team, like there's no reason why Brady couldn't give you 90% of Kirk's production this year. And then obviously what he gives you as a leader and all that stuff. And then he wins you what, 10, 11 games. That's a playoff team. Yeah. So I do think he's got, to, I do think he has a little bit of football. And I don't think there's any chance he could leave after this on this note. Like that was just so like, that would just be so disheartening. I thought last year would have been like last year, even though they lost in the divisional round at home, like that was a fitting enough way that he could have won out after this. There's no way he's too competitive and stuff like that. So I don't think he could personally leave on that, but we got a lot more time to talk about Brady and potentially, um, especially as that situation plays out. We'll go with one more thing before we move on to our next two games that we want to talk about. Brett Maher. I mean, that's going to, of course, we talked about four missed extra points in this one, actually five straight because he missed his last one in week 18. Core, you're a kicker, man. It, it's just disheartening. Like, it's one of those things that you could kick 500 of them 
in practice, pregame, you're good. And then it's just like you miss one and you just question everything on the biggest stage. I mean, it's definitely got to be – you feel for Brett Maher at the same time, though. Like, it, I, I can't – like, they haven't caught him yet, which I think is pretty crazy. But, yeah, I mean, just a tough situation. That I'm sure you could talk a little bit more, too. I don't think he's going to – I don't know if he's going to get cut, just, like, the timing of it occurring. But, I mean, it's definitely – you think kickers aren't like a crucial piece, but if your kicker can't go out there when, I don't know, I mean, in close games, I mean, it's fourth and eight from, from like the 25-yard line. You don't have confidence in your kicker to go out there and make a routine field goal. It's definitely it's definitely going to like backfire on you. I mean, as a kicker, I guess you missed four extra points in a row. A lot of that to me has to be mental. Uh, obviously, these guys have – I don't know how long Brett Mayer has been kicking a football, but it's got to be at least 15 years. Like, he's just been doing it 10, 15 years, like a long time. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, as a kicker, you know, I'm not going to, like, go out there and just kick, like, 500 kicks. This isn't, like, basketball where you can just get shots up. Like, you got to give your leg a rest a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's a kicking coach in Dallas, but definitely going to make some type of adjustment or – like, if I'm Dallas in practice, I'm trying to make it game atmosphere also. Just because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as a kicker myself, you know, sometimes at halftime I go out there, you know, I, I feel like I'm just putting on a show. Like, I'm hitting, like, 50-plus yarders. No one, no one's coming at me. I'm just like – I'm like Justin Tucker. But, obviously, in a game, it's a lot different. So, I would try to make a lot more game-realistic kicks with Maher and – see where he goes, if he's still on the team. I just don't know. It's, this isn't like wide receiver where you can just be like, oh, pick up uh, this guy, like on on weight, like on free agency. Like, I don't know what kickers are just randomly chilling. Obviously, there are a few, but it, it's tough to bring in a guy. I think they're going to ride with him, but, I mean, hopefully the guy has a good week of practice and he can get, get, uh, get rid of his case of the yips. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point about simulating those game reps in practice, especially like, they're on a shorter week to Dallas, so not only are they kind of crunched from t- for time, but now they kind of got to incorporate a little bit more of the specials periods, got to get its justified time because Maher in that situation definitely has to be ironed out. You don't want to have to have any questions about should we have to go for two or should we have to go for it instead of kicking a field goal, which at one point in this game, McCarthy did go for it. They were up pretty big, and he ended up going for like a fourth and eight. Or I, I believe it was with him. Yeah, maybe it was like fourth and six, actually, but again, they were up like 24 nothing when they went for it at the time. Core, we'll talk about the two. our next two games will involve two first-year coaches who led their team to surprise playoff work, both getting underdog victories this week. We'll first start in Jacksonville, the Saturday night game, Duval. Jacksonville down 27-0, comes back to stun the Chargers 31-30 to on a Riley Patterson game-winning field goal. That Let me tell you something, Core. I think it was from 36 yards. If it was from 40, not talked about enough, that thing would have doinked and Jacksonville would have went home real, real sad. The big story in this one is Trevor Lawrence was able to overcome four interceptions in the first half. Jacksonville also had a muffed punt, so five total first-half turnovers. And Justin Herbert and Brandon Saley are going home again without a playoff win. Uh, we'll start with the good in Jacksonville. Doug Peterson continues to show why he's, one, if you ask me, one of the best coaches in the NFL. I mean, when he got fired from Philadelphia, it was rightfully so. Like, you understood why, but... It just seemed like, again, that, that that was a guy who was bound to get another opportunity. And not only did he help lead Trevor Lawrence back on track, 
helped the Jaguars get into the playoffs. But I mean, some of the decisions that he made this in this game were awesome. His big one will be going for two down four with like 525 left to play. I know they were going from the one yard line, but Doug Peterson's a big believer in analytics. Analytics would tell you that surprisingly, like down four, you don't make it a field goal game. You actually go for two. And I would get into it, but it is kind of it's a little lengthy, but with that being said, he were he was able to get it. They go down two, and then ultimately they're able to win the game on a field goal thanks to his fourth down call too, where he's got three running backs lined up in a straight line in three point stances and gives Travis Etienne the ball on the outside and lets him go make a play. But yeah, Doug Peterson, awesome. Trevor Lawrence in the second half was awesome. Finished with 288 yards and four touchdowns in the air. And uh, yeah, I mean, a 27 point comeback is nothing to scoff at. Awesome job for Jacksonville for their fans to win a home playoff game and. uh yeah, I mean, good for Jacksonville. We'll start with them first. Yeah, tale of two sides here. Obviously, football is a really long game. Like, you get behind that much. Still, still, like, that touchdown before half, I thought, was really crucial to cut it to 20 and get some momentum going into, into the third. Like, you get a stop. If you score, then you start the third and force a three and out. You're literally back in the game. And, I mean... They cut it to 27-14 with, like, five minutes left. And then even when Zay Jones caught that long touchdown, they didn't even get the two-point conversion to keep it a two-possession game. And they were still able to come back. I know we were talking, like you were saying, if Joey Bosa didn't get, like, that penalty and it wasn't from, and it wasn't from the one that mm-hmm. they were going to go for it anyway. I'm not sure about that, but obviously we'll never we'll never know, I think hear more about this analytic stuff, but obviously the penalty happened. The two-point conversion was huge, especially if even if the game ended at 30 to 28, I think the line closed at Chargers minus two and a half. So, I mean, Chargers betters were already sick at that point. They knew, like, they were pretty screwed. But this game, if you're going to tell me who does this lie on, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I've been, like, a big Justin Herbert fan, but – to me, I know football is a big game of coaching, but I don't know. Like, you can't always – like, it is a big game of coaching, but I feel like in football, the coach receives the blame all the time. Like, a lot of the time. Even in, in Denver, like, you're just in thing Hackett. Like, I know it is a lot of coaching, but I was I was telling you, I mean, it was like in the second – in the second quarter, like, late in the second, I think after a turnover, I think it was after the punt maybe that, like – are you, gonna, are you gonna mention the Keenan the overthrow? Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna mention. Yeah. yeah, it was it was when it was twenty four nothing. It was third and goal from the five, and I mean, you talk about putting a team away. Like I said, this was just after they got a muff inside in the red zone, and he completely overthrows Keenan Allen. That should be a gimme touchdown. Should have put him up thirty one nothing, and they should have never looked back. Yeah, I have that right here. They ended up settling for a 23-yard field goal. Yeah. So, yeah, that is absolutely brutal. And I know exactly what you mean. I'll kind of take over from here in that sense that, yeah, I think people see, like, the talent, obviously, Justin Herbert has. And, like, they want to kind of defend him and jump to defend him. But by no means is Justin Herbert criticism free. I mean, this game definitely falls on him a little bit. You had a 27-point lead as a quarterback. You deserve some of the blame. Now, Coaching also deserves some of the blame. Brandon Staley, I mean, his he calls the defense and stuff like that. You can even just go from that, how you blow a 27-point lead in the second. Well, technically they scored seven points late in the first half, besides one. Um, also, they left a lot of time on the clock in the fourth quarter. They didn't run the clock down on some of their plays. The biggest thing, if you ask me, is when they went up 27-0 court, since that they ran 33 offensive plays once they had the 27-0 lead. 
25 pass plays, eight run plays. That is abysmal. Like, you're up big. You got to run the football a little bit. Don't be reckless and careless like they kind of were. If you look at Justin Herbert, too, and, like, his average depth of target, it was really low. Again, just going to show you that the Chargers have not utilized him right. Joe Lombardi's the first one to take the ball. He's fired. He was their offensive coordinator. Staley, it looks like he's staying, which, to be fair, this was a colossal collapse. But I do think Staley should have survived it, actually, which is crazy. I, w- I would have understood if they fired him. But, again, he went 9-8 and eight last year. He was 10-7 and seven this year. And, like, he's a really good defensive coordinator. He really is. And I know, like, maybe like he still has some room to grow as a head coach. But I do think definitely Lombardi had to go as the offensive coordinator. I think everybody's a little bit on fault here. Lombardi probably more than anybody because, obviously, he's calling the plays. But, like, Staley definitely is. And Herbert, I think it's a good debate if you want to say Staley versus Herbert, who's more to blame. I mean, they left a lot of points on the board. Like I said, they kicked a 23-yard field goal. They also kicked a 22-yard field goal early in the game. Cameron Dicker missed a 40-yard field goal, too, which isn't great. Staley was a little less aggressive going for it. I think that was like a fourth and three, whereas like last year, maybe he goes for that. But this year, he decided to kick it, and Dicker ends up missing that kick. So, yeah, um, definitely a long offseason in L.A. I mean, they would have went to go play the Chiefs, and who would have know? Like, who knows how that game could have turned out? They normally play Kansas City really, really well, but yeah, definitely a lot of reflecting. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, Lombardi was definitely a no-brainer if you ask me. He had to go, but do you think Staley should have got fired, or, or and are you surprised that he's still staying for right now? I'm kind of surprised he he's still staying for now, just because the collapse that occurred and it's almost like constant mediocrity in in the Chargers. Personally, I I would fire him and kind of just like get a fresh start. Um, maybe bring in a, in a new guy and just go from there. Cause I mean Herbert's put up good numbers for 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 the Chargers. I mean this year they were banged up a lot of the year, but I think after a loss like this, I don't think it's just like we'll get him next year. You blow twenty seven nothing lead mm. in the wild card round against a team who honestly like. It's a good, young, up-and-coming team, but it's not like this team is used to the playoffs. It's not like it's not like Tom Brady is the other guy like he's been in that spot before. So, I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence is the future, but I think you blow a lead like that, I would just kind of fire offensive coordinator and and your head coach and kind of go from there because, I mean, head coaching spot here is pretty attractable, in my opinion, with obviously Justin Herbert at, at quarterback. But I, I don't know if – I mean, I don't know. I mean, if they've held them on, held on to him this long, maybe they'll wait till like, the whole season's over. But I don't know. Personally, I would get rid of um Brandon Staley. Yeah, I think, honestly, if you actually – the only way I would fire Staley personally is if they had a guarantee that they could get Sean Payton. Because, like, I'm – like, if I'm going to compare Staley and then going with one of these – a younger Fremont coach, I'm not sure it's necessarily an upgrade. And, like, if you're going to fire Staley – then he 100% has to be an offensive-minded coach they are bringing in. And you have to be really confident if you ask me that that coach is better than what you have right now. So I think Staley's definitely on the hot seat. I think if they get up to a slow start next year, he would definitely go. And that offensive coordinator job, if you ask me, is potentially even better than certain head coaching jobs around the league. Like I think that you could definitely argue that – because if you're the Chargers offensive coordinator and you have a really good first year – you instantly catapult yourself to the top of head coaching discussions next offseason. So instead of maybe taking a job in Carolina where there's a lot of uncertainty or in like where you might like, cause they don't have a top pick. So they might not get one of the two top quarterbacks in the draft. Who knows who they're going to sign, right? Go to LA, 
you you don't have as much pressure being the head coach this year. You get to work with Herbert. You get Herbert playing at an MVP level, which shouldn't be that hard. Justin Herbert could argue the top talent at the quarterback position. Your team plays great. Your offense looks great. Then again, right when head coaching carousel comes around next offseason, everybody's like, "That's oh yeah, that Chargers OC, whatever his name is, whoever it ends up being." Like, look what he did to Herbert. Like, we want him. He's able to basically choose his job wherever he is. So I think that that's an attractive job for. A lot of coordinators out there, and I'm definitely curious to see who they hire with that. But Brandon Staley, for now, looks safe. We'll see what it ends up being. I, I mean, there, it is possible that he can get fired. But, um, yeah, like I said, I mean, a, a very Chargers-esque loss, and the Jaguars will be moving on. The other first-year head coach, Corey, was able to get a playoff victory this past Sunday. Brian Dable and Daniel Jones led the New York Giants to a 31-24 victory over the Minnesota Vikings core. I said it after they lost to the Vikings a while back. The Giants outplayed them that game, and it was obvious that by far. I mean, I've, I've watched every career start of Daniel Jones in length. That was by far when they played the Vikings the first time, the most confident he's ever looked on a football field. The week later was his, like, again, he was the best player on the field in that Colts game. Today, this this past, uh, this past Sunday, he was the best player on the field, and it wasn't even close. He might have been the best player all weekend. 301 yards in the air, two touchdowns, added 78 more on the ground. He's able to do a great job of kind of protecting the Giants' offensive line. It was played all right, but Jones definitely made them look better as he was able to scramble early in the pocket, had a really good pocket presence. Isaiah Hodgins, eight catches, 105 yards in the touchdown. I mean, what a find he was on Buffalo's practice squad. The Giants' defense played pretty good in this one. Justin Jefferson, after the first drive, only 16 total yards. Hats off to a Dory Jackson. And yet, Kirk Cousins checks the ball down to TJ Hawkinson, and the Vikings go home in a losing effort. But yeah, I mean, the story of this one, obviously, is going to be the Brian Dable turnaround. And Mike Kafka, too, the offensive coordinator, deserves a ton of credit. I mean, the call that Saquon scored his first touchdown on that pin and pull was awesome. Yeah, I mean... You can look at certain coaching like the Chargers and see how coaching can lose you games, and then you look at the Giants and see what good coaching can do to a player. Daniel Jones dealt with so much adversity and just a mess of a situation his first three years. He gets Brian Dable and Mike Kafka in this corner, and I mean, again, I don't know if you – like, I, if you would have went back to 2019-2020 and you would have told me that Jones could play like that in the playoff game, I would be really, really impressed. I mean, that was awesome. I was always a believer, but I never thought the guy could single-handedly take over a playoff game like he did, and I mean – he looks awesome. He's definitely made himself a ton of money this season. And, yeah, my New York Giants are moving on for in a game where, I mean, they didn't even have a sack, too. You could argue that one of their best assets is their defensive line. Their defensive line got a lot of pressure on Kirk, but didn't have a sack. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens this week. But, I mean, what an awesome win. A long time coming. Their first win since they won the Super Bowl in 2012. Daniel Jones in this game playing, like, very, very free and very, like, loose could tell like he was out there playing with a lot of confidence just how he was playing and i mean he was he was slinging the ball like throwing dots to his receivers like those first few drives and even on the ground i mean he was not really like afraid of of any like defender it was clear i mean he was either like he was like going not to like slide he was gonna uh go get more yards and stuff like that i mean if he plays like this i mean daniel jones is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, I don't think it's really even a question. If he goes out there and plays like this, I think the quarterback position right now, I mean, the top quarterbacks are good, but there's a very, I don't know, like there's like a middle area to like bottom area, I think is pretty weak. But I think Daniel Jones could is, is top 10 if he plays like this. And I mean, the Giants defense did a great job kind of limiting big plays 
for for the Vikings. I mean, Justin Jefferson, obviously, seven catches for 47 yards. The Giants will take that a thousand out of a thousand times. See, when the ball's – I mean, K.J. Osborne could be like a deep threat, but when almost like when, – when they don't get the ball to like Justin Jefferson a lot and, and, a, and a lot – like, hold on. When Justin Jefferson isn't as ex, – like isn't explosive in the game, I feel like the Vikings offense kind of – kind of struggles and I mean you look at previous games uh, Justin Jefferson obviously the whole team didn't do anything but when they played the Packers he was held to what one catch I think so I mean the Vikings obviously weren't able to get much going a lot of like shorter plays and then yeah on fourth and eight a check down to TJ Hawkinson's not going to get the job done and we kind of knew this Vikings team even on this podcast we were saying like to me I thought the ceiling for this team was the second round and they didn't even get out. They didn't even get there. I mean, a team who wins that many close games, we said, like they're battle tested. But eventually, I feel like your luck or your strategy of winning is not sustainable. So, uh, the Giants obviously wanted a team like Minnesota. Like you know, you're going to be in a close game, and yeah, they were able to be on the right side of that. Brian Dable obviously did a great job. Uh, Saquon played really well. I mean, Giants right now are a team a little bit scary. I mean, especially this week going into Philly because there's really no pressure on them at all, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, the guys in that locker room probably believe they're going to win, but no one is, like, going to sit here and be like, oh, if you lose to Philly, anything anything to be ashamed of. Like, you had a good season, but they're playing with a lot of confidence. If Daniel Jones can play with that much confidence in Philly, I mean – I expect that to be a really close game, and we don't know how how Jalen Hurts is going to look. He might be still a little bit rusty. So, I mean, the Giants could go into Philly. I mean, obviously, they've lost, they've lost both times. But the way they're playing, I think they kind of got like a swagger and an edge to them where they kind of have that underdog mentality. So, I, I kind of like the Giants right now from, from my uh, standpoint of view. But, yeah, I think they have a shot to beat Philly, honestly. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to preview that game. I will definitely, definitely have a lot to say with that. Another guy who deserves to try to win more, the other defensive coordinator. I mean, again, this is a team who, notorious, they took a lot of pressure and kind of changes his defense a little bit. They played a lot of cover two men, which took away the explosive plays of their offense. And again, TJ Hawkins had a big day, but the Giants will take that every single time if it resulted in the Justin Jefferson style on that. He had Dalvin Cook as well. Didn't run the ball good at all, which was a big feat for the Giants to limit Minnesota's ground game. Yeah, Minnesota, I mean, 13-4 and four season just to lose in the first round of the playoffs is kind of disappointing. But still the first year under Kevin O'Connell, they'll go into their offseason. They definitely have to fix their defense a little bit too. I mean, again, you can look at their record in one thing, but then you start looking at some of the underlying metrics that this team wasn't as good as their record, it was obvious to some people. So they have to look themselves as maybe they're not as close to a top of the NFC as they might want to be. So I definitely think though they have a long offseason ahead. Of their new G, their GM is new too. I think last year, last offseason was his first offseason, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it definitely was. And he made a big trade at the trade deadline with TJ Hawkinson. So we'll see what he could do to add. I'm blanking on his name right now, but. With that being said, Kirk Cousins, I think, might get a little bit too much abuse as well for this game. Kirk Cousins was good in this game. I mean, did he play? I thought he played well enough for them to win, too. I mean, the Giants' defense, the Giants' offense just never really stopped. Vikings' defense definitely had a tough time really just containing anything with Jones and the Giants' receivers as well. So we'll see where it goes. I still think they'll open. That's probably the favorites in the NFC North. Maybe, I mean, the, the Lions are getting a lot better, too. The 
Packers, who knows what their future is. But, yeah, the Vikings definitely um, a disappointing end to the season, especially for winning all those one-score games and then for them to lose a one-score game, kind of upsetting. But they'll have they'll have a lot of time to think about that. We'll finish up core with the two games in the AFC, both on Sunday. We'll start first with the Buffalo Bills, who barely survived the Skyler Thompson-led Dolphins. They won this one 34-31, in large part to Josh Allen and his turnovers. Josh Allen is such a special talent at quarterback, and he's able to make so many plays. But with that, sometimes comes the turnovers. They threw two interceptions in this game, was strip sacked, which resulted in the Dolphins taking actually a 24-20 lead in the third quarter at this one. But Allen was able to rally the troops back, score a couple touchdowns, and then survive a late comeback from the Dolphins. I mean, the big play that people will remember from this one is it's fourth and one with like two minutes left in the game. The Dolphins have no timeouts. And Skylar Thompson's breaking the huddle with four seconds left on the play clock, forces them to take a delay. A game goes fourth and six, and the Bills end up getting a stop there. But yeah, for the Bills, it was just kind of an ugly game. I mean, with a third-string quarterback, they went up 17 nothing. You would have thought that they'd be able to coast in this one, but they let Miami hang around. Like I said, the turnovers didn't help. And uh, yeah, Miami's got to be like shooting them. Like they shot themselves in the foot all day, but they got to be real upset that they didn't have two attack of my low in this game. Because if they had two, I mean, you could easily say the Dolphins should, Dolphins would have won this game. But yeah, for McDaniel, it's kind of upsetting. And like I said, that delay a game penalty is something you're going to think about for a long, long time because that's just inexcusable. Even with a third string quarterback, that just can't happen. Yeah, to me, it's crazy if you even look at the stats that Miami was really in this game. I mean, Skyler Thompson throws. 18 for 45, and they don't even get anything going on the ground. I mean, Jalen Waddle, I'm sorry. I mean, Jalen Waddle, I know I had like three catches in this game, but if you're going to be like a top receiver, I know some like they were a lot of like 50 50 balls. Like, you got to, like, he just doesn't come down. He was not coming down with any of them. Like, some of them were good defensive plays, but when, when you're like a, when you're supposed to be a top 10 receiver, like Jalen Waddle, I know he's more of a speedster guy. Like, he's not a, He's not. He's like his forte is not a go up and get it type of guy like like a DeAndre Hopkins. But I mean, there's a lot of like 50-50 balls where I mean the defender knocking it away. I mean, even early in the game, he dropped a um a pass that Skyler put right on him. But um yeah, they didn't have Raheem Mostert either in this game. I mean, obviously the turnovers kept them in it, but I don't know, hats off to them for for competing. But if you're if you're Buffalo. I mean, you can't turn the ball over. What was it? I mean, I know Allen had three turnovers. So, yeah, three turnovers for for Buffalo. And, I mean, they still won, but definitely got to sharpen up because it seems like a lot of times um, their games are a little bit closer than they should. Like, early in the year, I was looking at this team as a team who was just, like, night and day better than most of the league. I still think that, but, I mean – they did they ended 13 and 3, 14 and 3 now, but it just seems they haven't played like a complete perfect football game in in a while almost. I mean, like it's just not the same team who they were earlier. I still think like they're good enough to get to the Super Bowl and win it, but it's just like they haven't be they haven't played like a complete perfect like football game in, in a long time, in my opinion. This week against against the Bengals, you can't turn the ball over like that and expect to win. I mean, this is Skylar Thompson, six-round pick, I think. Yeah, Kansas State. Seventh, actually. Kansas State, I know he's from there. Yeah, I mean, he he obviously didn't, like, isn't going to be able to get the job done. So, I mean, 
the Bills got to look at this, I guess, as a wake-up call just because, I mean, two or two of plays, they're probably winning this game. And, yeah, I mean, to me, a win is a win. Survive in advance. They'll move on to the next round. You just got – Josh Allen's got to stop being – like ha- trying to be Superman every play. Like his skill set is insane, like off the charts. But you can't like try to do too much all the time, make – throws that aren't there, fumble the ball and and get give up three turnovers against like a good team. So I think next week obviously they're gonna have to tighten up on that. But I mean talent wise, obviously, uh Josh Allen to me is just an absolute beast. So uh if they could tighten up on that, uh I think obviously they could the ceiling is the Super Bowl in my opinion if they could tighten up on turnovers. Yeah, I mean, they did a lot of things like really well, Buffalo. I mentioned Buffalo's defensive line as potentially being an X factor this playoffs. I mean, Miami couldn't run the ball, and they got a ton of pressure on Skyler Thompson. So that was awesome for them. Uh, Kair Elam, too, really stepped up as potentially the number two corner to play opposite of Jadavius White, which would be really big for them. They're going to need him to play really good again. But, yeah, to be fair, I mean, maybe we're being a little bit hard on Josh Allen than we should be again because some of the – like. Some of the allure of Josh Allen is that he's able to, like, why he makes some of these turns is because for the turnovers that he makes because he's extending the play, he makes three incredible ones. So, to be fair, too, Miami just sent a lot of pressure. Miami played a lot of cover zero in this game and said, look, we're just going to try to go after you, and if we get you, we'll get you, and maybe force them to make mistakes. They had seven sacks, two on Allen. So, I mean, Buffalo's offensive line, like I said, I know a lot of it is because Miami was sending six, seven constantly, but still, I mean, maybe Buffalo's Play calling, too, could have definitely helped. They had Josh Allen throwing the ball downfield a ton. Maybe could have helped them a little bit more when they were up 17-0 and avoided some of those mistakes. With that being said, like I said, Buffalo, you're right. They didn't really necessarily play their best game, but they were able to still survive. You would have liked to see them kind of, like, put the Dolphins away early, especially when they went up 17-0. But with that being said, it survived in advance. And these teams had played each other a couple times. They struggled with Miami all year. And – uh, for them, they're looking on to Cincinnati now. Cincinnati won 24-14 on Sunday night, another divisional round. And again, one of those games that really helped that the Ravens had seen Cincinnati twice earlier in the year. I mean, the Ravens defense played really well in this one. I mean, the big turning point in this game is like Tyler Huntley finds Demarcus Robinson for a big touchdown. The Bengals get a, the Bengals get stopped in offense, so the Ravens get the ball back. And then the Ravens go on a huge drive. And look like they're about to punch it in and take their lead core. And then Tyler Huntley from like it really was like the two yard line tries to sneak in and go over the pile. Logan Wilson knocks it out right. First of all, the fact that the ball literally goes into Sam Hubbard's hands so perfectly. It's just like one of those like if that like if the ball is knocked out there 15 times, it's never like only once is it going perfectly into his hands like that. He catches it basically in stride, goes 98 yards, Mark Andrews unable to run him down. And that's all there was to it. The Bengals went 24-17. Uh, Huntley was not able to lead them on a game-tying drive late. Obviously, the big story almost on this one is off the field in the Lamar Jackson saga. We'll stay on the field first for a little upset with the Bengals' performance. Like, I just thought, like, maybe they'd be a little bit more dominant. But I'll give credit to the Ravens and, like I said, the Ravens' defense. But, yeah, I mean, the Ravens will walk away from this one saying, if we had Lamar Jackson, we definitely beat the Bengals in this one, no doubt about it. So the Bills and the, and the Bengals both move on. But, I mean, again, they were against backup quarterbacks. And you could easily argue that if those teams had their starting quarterbacks, they would have won those games. You definitely could argue that, which definitely is fair. But at the end of the day, obviously, I mean, both these teams are just going to look and be like, 
we didn't play our best football, but we're on to the next round. I mean, these two teams, I think you look in the NFL are probably two of the best, but I mean, hey, I mean, like, if you're going to tell me, like, what team looked the best in the, I mean, the 49ers, the the Giants, the, the NFC just kind of looked look better. I mean, the Giants and um Cowboys and the uh, 49ers obviously all looked really good, but the 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 Bengals in this one, yeah, they didn't really play that well. But this is obviously is a divisional opponent in the Baltimore Ravens, a really good defense where you, they've played each other three times, and they actually yeah they played each other to end the season in week in week eighteen. So obviously this is a tough game for for the Bengals, but hey, I mean Tyler Huntley literally on the doorstep of giving the Ravens the lead, and yeah, I mean, the ball gets tripped. Sam Humbert cribs at 98 yards. Sometimes plays like that, I mean, it's not all about your offense. And when, you, when you're like, like, I, yeah, when you're when you're good on both sides of the ball, plays like that could happen and you get breaks like that. And it's unfortunate for Baltimore. But, um, I mean, yeah, I don't know where they go from here. Personally, I think Lamar's time in, in Baltimore is done. And... Yeah, that's what I think. I don't know what you think, but I think his time in uh, Baltimore is done. Yeah, I mean, I'll start finishing up real quick with the Bengals. Another kind of like fluky playoff win for them. I mean, we've talked about last year. Maybe they didn't get the most deserving Super Bowl run. This year, I thought they were a better team, but it, like, not much has changed. Like Their defense makes a really big play, kind of to help their offense, which is a little slow this game, kind of similar to how last year their defense played really well in that Raiders game and then got that late pick off Tannehill in the divisional round. But bringing it back to the Ravens 100%, J.K. Dobbins even says after the game, if we have Lamar, we win that game. There was not really a point during the regular season where I ever entertained the thought that Lamar would leave Baltimore, especially for what they've tried to build around him. But at the end of the day, I mean, that was just a – like it's a really ugly finish to potentially Lamar's tenure in Baltimore. Obviously, the like mysterious injury in the sense like it wasn't very – um it wasn't clear – the, like, you know what I mean? The Ravens have one to three weeks. Then it was like six weeks going on seven. Lamar's coming out saying that they're still swelling and stuff like that. Then Lamar wasn't with the team. So definitely frustrating for both sides of it. There's going to be a, some to prepare. Like, there's going to be – there needs to be some repair with this relationship, obviously, as you see. If you told me my gut instinct now, if Lamar's the Ravens quarterback week one, I'd say 51% yes only because, like, it just – it's so tough for me to be like that the Ravens are going to move on from him. And like, yes, I know they don't have complete control in the situation because Lamar can hold out if they franchise tag him. But like you draft a guy, he wins you the MVP, you build a system around him that yes, he hasn't really like had playoff success. He won one playoff game in it, but to be also fair, like you haven't really, you haven't given him the best receivers there. When you did get a receiver, Marquise Brown, you traded him away. Although, it was a right trade. I think Marquise Brown for a one was a really good trade, besides the point. So I think that Lamar definitely has to kind of like do it. Like the Baltimore has to look themselves more in the mirror too and see like, yeah, it's tough that he's been injured last year and that he was injured too this year. But with that being said, like how can you – with this defense and how good it is, how can you expect to bring somebody in at the quarterback position, especially with like what you have around him and be like – yeah, like we're going to have a better chance to win with Lamar Jackson not being our quarterback. That's the only reason why I think that potentially Lamar will stay. But, yeah, the relationship doesn't look great right there. I mean, potential spots I know for Lamar, the Jets are going to be a big rumor, rumored one, which, I mean, they're ready to win now if they get the quarterback position right. The Lions, too, potentially. So, yeah, 
definitely will be probably the main story to watch this offseason about what happens with Lamar. But uh, I'm curious for gut instinct, too, if you think he's gone or if you think if they'll figure it out with him. I want to say Lamar will be gone. It's just when you're such a star player like Lamar Jackson, I think it's just tough to find like a like compensation in like a trade in like a trade that's going to be equivalent to him. Like he, and he I'm sorry to cut you off there. Thinking. On top of then a contract, like yeah. not only do these two teams have to tr- like figure out the right value and both of them have to agree to it, then who's ever trading for him also has to agree to shell out. 200 plus million in guaranteed money. Yeah. I I think teams would definitely give Lamar Jackson that if they can get him. I don't know if he I mean it's up to him if he would sign with them. If I'm Lamar and like their franchise tagging me, I'm I, I'm I want to hold out, but it's just hard because I don't know, a year off. Uh, if they don't trade you and you're holding out, you're just gonna like what? You just sit out and then you're free agent. And then at the end of the year, I don't know if Lamar, like guys are passionate. I don't know if like guys are gonna want to sit out the whole year. I don't know if they're gonna pull like a Le'Veon Bell. And obviously he's a running back. We see how Le'Veon Bell came back after he held out. I mean he really wasn't the same player. I mean I'm not saying that would happen to Lamar. I just think I don't know. I think at the end of the day, they are gonna somehow trade him for like a big compensation i just don't think he's gonna play again in, in baltimore i mean i follow the guy on instagram and just like signs of it maybe he's just like not happy maybe he could be persuaded like i think the ravens are a good organization i just don't think like lamar is gonna play again with the ravens i know he was definitely hurt but he he didn't play for a long time last year he didn't really play at the end i mean last year i think he was actually hurt but this year um i don't know and then tyler huntley Obviously, I don't think he can be your starting quarterback for next year. You got guys like J.K. Dobbins saying if we had Lamar, we would have won. Like Huntley, I don't know how that makes him feel. I thought he played a pretty good game besides the turnover, but besides the fumble. I don't think Lamar is going to be um starting quarterback for the Ravens next year, even if he – like I just think somehow he's not going to be. I, I just think his time in Baltimore is kind of over. I think they could have treated him a little bit better – just like surrounding him with pieces, like you said, like Marquise Brown, and then he gets traded. I mean, Rashad Bateman had like potential, but like as a wide receiver, one in his second year, I guess like it would have been all right, but he got hurt. And this year, I mean, it was just like Demarcus Robinson, like Deshaun Jackson. They give him a tight end. That's really about. That's pretty much about it. So I, I don't think he's gonna play in Baltimore anymore. Yeah, which is so crazy if you think about it because, like, Lamar in that MVP year in 2019, I know maybe he didn't have the weapons at receiver, but everybody was like, look how good his supporting cast was. Like, they had, like, an all-time good offensive line and defense. Like, that team was crazy good around him. But now, who knows, too, when you have to pay Lamar, too, that's going to mean some other positions are sacrificed. And maybe their thought is they don't think that they could win with Lamar making $45, $50 million, and especially a year, and with that, like giving up potentially like now certain players at certain positions, you can't pay people at certain positions as well on top of that as like Lamar's injury risk. So who knows? I mean, the fact that it's taken this long to pay him, it's almost like, well, are you even going to end up paying him? But as we just saw, like, I know it's a different sport, like the Yankees with Aaron Judge, like, and almost some of the people were like, well, if you never paid him in the off season, you didn't like, then why are you going to like, you're going to go through the year and then, then you're going to agree to it. But who knows? Like, no matter what, Lamar Jackson will not leave Baltimore for nothing. They're either getting draft picks back 
on off the franchise tag when trading him off on a franchise tag or Lamar Jackson would be back in Baltimore this year. No matter what, if Lamar Jackson is definitely back in Baltimore, they will have a new wide receiver one next year. They absolutely have to have that and they have to get him right. Because like we've said, they, their defense showed on Sunday night that they are ready to win now. And let's hope Lamar Jackson for his sake can um gets paid and the million dollar question or in his case the two hundred fifty million dollar question will be where is that going to happen? Core, we got a couple coaching vacancies that we'll, we're not going to talk about. We're going to talk about game picks because let's be real here. It's the divisional round. We don't really care as much. Nobody's been hired yet in the head coaching circle. We will definitely talk more when a head coaching hire is being made. Some jobs open did open up, though, on the offensive coordinator side of things. We mentioned the Chargers. The Jets also fired Mike LaFleur. Maybe they just parted ways with him. Either way, that's an opening. I think Daniel Hackett interviewed for that. So get ready, Core, for all the Rodgers rumors if they ultimately hired Daniel Hackett. Washington Commanders also fired Scott Turner. So they have an offensive coordinator opening. We'll see maybe guys like Frank Reich, who was fired midseason from the Indianapolis Colts, taking one of those jobs. Uh, ben Johnson, too, one of the hot head coaching hires. The, the Lions offensive coordinator said, He's going to pass on head coaching opportunities this year. He's going to go back to Detroit. So a big victory there for the Lions. And I'm sure next year he will be high in high demand if the Lions have another good year on offense. One last thing I'll leave off on Sean McVay, too. We didn't really buy into the rumors that he would leave. He committed to the Rams in 2023. So good to see McVay on the sidelines still and hopefully leading them back to the playoffs. Finally, Corey, we are done with that. And we can talk about our game picks. We will start first with a rematch from earlier in the regular season where the Jaguars travel to Kansas City to play the Chiefs, the one seed. They are eight-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. Andy Reid coming off a bye. You know how much success he's had in his career. Core, I'll give it to you first. Do the Jaguars have a first-half performance like they did last week in their bag, or do you think that you get the second-half Jaguars and they give the Chiefs all they can handle? I mean, I think this game – I think the Chiefs are definitely going to win. I can't see – Jacksonville really going into Kansas City. But, you know, I could see Jacksonville coming out, like, decent. But, nah, I think the Chiefs come out. I think they make a statement. They see the Bengals and Bills kind of playing a little shaky ball. I think they come out and make a statement and get this minus eight and a half cover in Arrowhead and uh, move on to the AFC Championship game. Yeah, Andy Reid off a of bye. I did a quick Google search on this. He has a 20 – he's 27 and four off the bye which is ridiculous to think about that and how good it is. I don't think it's a question, too. I don't think the Jaguars have it in them to also, like, upset the Chiefs in Arrowhead. So I'll definitely think the Chiefs to win this game. I'm also going to take them to cover the eight and a half. I know Jacksonville, I believe, ended up losing the game by 10. The Chiefs went up early, and the Jaguars scored late in that one. I just think that there's a little too much firepower for this Jags team. Maybe they're, like, in a little bit over their heads. I do think that, like – Maybe if they like they they have to take the ball away from Mahomes, but I just don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think their defense like their defense is good, but I don't know. They didn't force a turnover last week either against Herbert. I think it's gonna be pretty tough for them to do it against Kansas City as well. So I'll take the Chiefs minus eight and a half here in what was a really good year for the Jaguars, but ultimately is going to end. We'll talk about the Saturday night game corn. My New York football giants travel to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. The Eagles are seven and a half point favorites here. They're also the other one seed core. I'll give this one to you first, and then I'll kind of go on this one. I know I'll definitely have a little bit more to say on this, but uh, yeah, you think the giants, I mean, they're a confident underdog. Sometimes one of the most dangerous things in sports playing with nothing to lose. And they believe completely in themselves. You think they got it in them to beat the Eagles who have beaten them twice during the regular season? Or do you think that Jalen Hurts gets right and the Eagles move on to the NFC Championship? 
definitely tough to beat a team three times in a row. And I said I think the Giants have a chance to win this game. I do think they have a chance, but, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to pick them. I mean, seven and a half, I think that's that's a tough number. I th- I think this little, could be a close game. I think it'll definitely be within 10 points. I think the Eagles win this game. You know, I'll say they win it by a little over a little over seven. I think it's just I know like they played them solid that last week, like week 18 game. Like the final score was like solid, but I mean, I'm not really that game was kind of almost not that competitive. I mean, Jalen Hirsch was out there just trying to get like a feel back for the game. But I think I think Philly wins this game. By about ten, so I think Philly covers minus seven and a half. But um, yeah, the Giants obviously are are playing well and don't have a lot like have nothing to lose. But I think Philly's just a more talented team and uh, covers minus seven and a half. Yeah, I mean these two teams played Week eighteen, obviously with Davis Webb at quarterback, and like you said, it was kind of a glorified game getting Hurts back, and they didn't look great. They looked really rusty. Philadelphia, they didn't have a great end to the season as well, obviously with Hurts being out lost a couple of games, and then having the bye, I definitely don't think helps Jalen Hurts. So I do think that there's a chance for the Giants to come out screaming confident. I do think that they will, like I said, it's the most dangerous thing sometimes to go against is a confident underdog playing with nothing to lose. I think the big thing in this game will be, like, Daniel Jones like had some pressure on him, and he did a good job evading it against the Vikings. But the Eagles pass is a completely different story with Josh Sweat. They have Fletcher Cox up front and Hassan Reddick. So the Giants' offensive line needs to completely step up. And on the other sides of things, the Giants' defensive line needs to try to help them win this ball game. I think that last week we saw them try to take Justin Jefferson away. I think this week you could say that they could play A.J. Brown the same way. But A.J. Brown, as good as he is, is not the same, like, on Justin Jefferson's level. I think the Giants should send a lot of pressure in this game, get after Jalen Hurts, and make Jalen Hurts make some big-time throws under pressure, which if they're going to lose that way, then so be it. But I think that the I think Luke Martin does a smart coach. I think he's going to be able to get after Jalen Hurts with as good as that offensive line is. And I think Daniel Jones is able to keep playing confident and core. I mean, there's no way I was ever going against them, right? So give me the Giants at plus seven and a half. Give me the Giants to win the game. The biggest thing, like I said, if they can keep Daniel Jones upright and if Daniel Jones is able to make a couple big time throws under pressure, I think that the Giants have themselves a real shot, and they have to get after Hurts. They have to make Hurts uncomfortable in this one. They let Hurts have some time in the pocket, like he did in that regular season game. He will put up forty plus points. He can put up forty plus points on this team. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I think the Giants are going to be able to get after him, and I think I believe in Brian Table, Mike Kafka, and Wick Martindale to call as good of a game as they did against the Vikings. They're going to need a perfect game like they played on on Sunday, but I think that they are capable of that and the Eagles run defense has been a little susceptible so maybe that's a, a place where they can have some success on the ground with both Jones and Saquon Barkley all right with that being said Corey we will move on to the Sunday slate the Bengals travel to Buffalo to play the Bills the Bills are five point favorites in this one this is kind of a makeup if you want to say of the week 17 game that was tragically cut short because of the DeMar Hamlin injury first of all I really hope to see DeMar Hamlin come out of the tunnel for this game. That would be awesome to hear the reaction from the crowd and just be an awesome sight to see, especially being the circumstances of what happened the last two times these two teams played. Definitely both looking to bounce back after kind of ugly wins. Listen, I think the big X factor in this game will be Kair Elam, who played so good in that wild card round against the Dolphins. If he's able to help take away T. Higgins in a sense and limit him, that could be big because with Jamar Chase on one side with Davis White, a lot of the Bills' attention is going to be there. I think that 
I'm going to trust Josh Allen here that he's able to give you a real good game and protect the football more than he has. With that being said, I think the Bengals is really good. I think they're going to give the Bills some trouble, but I don't think they're going to do enough. I'll take the Bengals at the points at plus five, but I think the Bills ultimately will win this one. I think they're just too inspired. Their defensive line gave me too much hope, especially with the Bengals' left tackle Jonah Williams getting hurt last week. I think the pressure is going to be a little bit like the Bills' defensive line is going to get too much pressure on Burrow, and I think the Bills will ultimately be able to win this one thanks to a couple of big plays from Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, this was obviously the the reason why getting number one seed was so important. I mean, I think, yeah, we said Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati were the top three teams in the AFC, and now these two teams have to face in the divisional round. I think this should be a really good game. I mean, two teams who didn't play their best in the wild cards, so I think they both rebound and, and, and play a really good game here. I mean, if I'm going to look here at the quarterback position, I think it's two, obviously two of the top quarterbacks, but I think Josh Allen is a level above Joe Burrow. So I'm going to go with the best, better quarterback. I know he turns the ball over, but if this game like came down to Josh Allen having to take them on a game-winning drive, like, I'm betting on Josh Allen despite the turnovers because I, I just know how good and, like, how talented and the plays he could make are just not many guys. Like, nobody really. I mean, maybe Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's about it. Like, no one can make the plays Josh Allen does. So, I'm going to bet on Josh Allen. I kind of hate to agree with you, but I think this should be a really good game. But, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of was going to pick um Cincinnati, like – before to get to the AFC championship game against Kansas city. But I don't know. I just, I don't know. Something changed in my mind. I'm going to go with Buffalo to win this game, but I think, I think Cincinnati keeps it within plus five, but I'm just going to bet on Josh Allen to get the job done here and win this game. Yeah. Corey, before we move on to our last one, were you a little surprised that it was five and not like four, three and a half even? What do you think five is a fair number? No, I think it should be a little less than, than five. I mean, the Bengals are a good team. I thought it would be about four. But, I mean, they played in Cincy that game when Tamar Hamlin got hurt. I think the spread was, what, like Buffalo minus one or something like that? I was going to say, Buffalo, Buffalo was at most two point favorites. I think they were only one. So, if you want to, like, I mean, home field is a lot. But I think that, like, I don't know, maybe that's a little telling in a sense. I mean, even if you want to even, like, one up or two, like, Cincinnati looked really good in the first ten yeah, minutes of that game, yeah. too. Like, so for them to be, I don't know, that, that maybe also maybe makes me side with the Bills a little bit. I was definitely surprised to see five next to that. I thought maybe we'd see like four, maybe even three and a half. But Absolutely. who knows? I mean, the Bills have been one of Vegas's teams. They've been like really the favorite early on in the year. And I don't know actually for sure. They're probably not the betting favorite right now. They're probably really close with Kansas City, I'm sure. But I guess we'll have to wait and see there. Maybe um, they were right with the bigger spread and maybe we're in line for a huge day from Josh Allen and the Bills defense. We'll have to see. Moving on to our last game core, the Sunday 6-40 game. The Cowboys travel to San Francisco to play the 49ers. The 49ers are four-point favorites here. I said earlier that this game could be awesome. Like, it's going to be awesome either way. But if you get Dak and Purdy from last week, oh, my goodness. I mean, this, this could be really special. I think that Dallas has a chance to make Purdy feel real uncomfortable, kind of how they've done a good job getting pressure on. Opposing quarterbacks, obviously, headlined by Michael Parsons there and what they were able to do to Brady last week. Obviously, not a, the same offensive line. The 49ers offensive line is a lot better. Not one of the, not, not an elite unit, but a really good 
unit definitely more better for their run blocking. So I think that if they can make Purdy uncomfortable, maybe like make him like get him to make some mistakes, some things that he hasn't done really all like since he's taken over as a starting role, I think they give themselves a really good shot in this one. And it, like Dak Prescott too, if he could be humming like he was this past Monday, they got a real chance Dallas. But at the end of the day, he's not going against Tampa Bay's defense. He's going against the best defense in the league in San Francisco. Who's also going to make his life uncomfortable. I think it's going to be really close. I'll take the Cowboys at, with the points, but I think the Niners ultimately wind up winning this one thanks to their defense getting a late stop. And like I said, I don't think Purdy will be flawless in this one, but I think there's enough around him, and I think that Christian McCaffrey is able to be a big factor in the 49ers winning this one. And like I said, I think their defense gets one stop late in this one. And yeah, ultimately for Dallas, they come up another year, another short. But I think, like I said, if there was one spot for Purdy to kind of potentially like blow up and start turning the ball over, I mean, you would think against the Dallas defense, it would be it. I mean, yeah, this Dallas defense and, I mean, Michael Parsons, I know he got – I know, like – I don't know if you saw that. Like, he kind of, like, banged knees pretty bad with someone. Hopefully that was just, like, a dead leg kind of. Uh, I mean, obviously I think he'll be fine for this game. Yeah, I think Dallas's defense could be big. I think this this game um, in the in the trenches is going to be big. If Dallas can get pressure on Brock Purdy, I think this – yeah, I mean, this could be – a tough game for, for the 49ers. But I mean, if, if the 49ers O-line could like hold up for a little bit, I, I think 49ers will win this game by double digits. Honestly, I, I don't know. I think Dallas, obviously a really talented team, but I think Dak, um, I mean, the confidence is high for him right now, but this Tampa Bay, even their defense was just not really good. A lot of, I don't know. I mean, like older type, players I'd say for them but I think the 49ers defense is really good in this in this um in this scenario I'm gonna go with uh, the 49ers minus four to to win this game I think Dallas is a talented team but also in the playoffs I don't know they've yet to show me like they could consistently get it done even though they they beat Tampa but I mean last year these two teams played 49ers won it in Dallas so I think in in San Francisco I think if the if Dallas's D line could get to Brock Purdy, I think there could be a problem. But I think Brock Purdy is going to be still decent in this game. Like I think they're not going to get consistent pressure all day on on Brock Purdy. I just think the 49ers are just too good. So yeah, I think the 49ers win this game and cover minus four. All right, Core. We'll have to wait and see. Would you agree with me that you think that's the best game of the weekend, or do you think that Bengals Bills beats it? I'm gonna just the way these two teams are playing. I'll say I'll say San Francisco, in Dallas are just because how they've been they played last week. That's how that's what I'm gonna say. All right, good to know. I think definitely the Sunday slate is a little stronger. Obviously, even if you just look at the spreads, they're lower. They should be closer games. But like I said, don't overlook the Saturday games. You have Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback prodigy. Obviously, like everybody's saying him pre-draft and how he's finally coming into his own, going against. The best in the league, the MVP Mahomes, and the division game with the Giants humming going against Philadelphia to lead into Sunday. With that being said, that's going to be it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at the Depot underscore. We mentioned last year how good the divisional round was. I mean, if this could be even half as good as it was last year, we are in for a special weekend of football. I'm I'm confident that we're going to get a great week of playoff football for a good games ahead of us. With that being said, that's going to be it. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.